0: Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, grab them, or your phones, and turn with me to the book of Proverbs. If you flip your Bible open to the middle, pretty much, you'll end up in Psalms, and then go to your right, and you'll end up in the book of Proverbs. Well, last month, Capital One released results of a survey they conducted called the credit-wise survey. And according to CNBC's coverage of the survey, the results found that finances cause the most stress for Americans. 73% of those polled said finances are their number one cause of stress, followed by politics at 59%, work at 49%, family at 46%. The global pandemic for sure, doesn't help those numbers decrease any more. COVID-19 has not only shaken our confidence in our health, perhaps, but in our money as well. So I think it's safe to assume that for the majority of those in this room, money is one of the most noisy things clamoring for our attention and our concern going into 2021. Rightly so. As we care for our families, as we pay our bills, as we save for the future, it is right and good to be aware of and on top of our money. But so often that care and concern can devolve into anxiety and idolatry, can't it? So how can we follow the path of wisdom when it comes to our money? Well, church, we took a break over the holiday season uh, from our study in the book of Proverbs. But for the next couple months, Lord willing, we're back to finish considering this Old Testament book. Uh, Proverbs, you may remember, you may not, that's okay. Proverbs belongs to the wisdom literature of the Bible, along with the books of Job, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. And speaking of Solomon, he is the, the primary author of Proverbs, though not the whole of it, as we'll see today. And what we see as we come to the book of Proverbs is that it's, it's split up into two main sections. You might remember this from the fall, because in the fall, we consider the whole of the first section of Proverbs, which is Proverbs chapters 1 through 9. And if you read Proverbs, you'll see this is split up pretty, pretty naturally, because Chapters 1 through 9 are lessons. They read with a flow. They read with a rhythm. There's a point to to these chapters. They are lessons from a father to his son trying to persuade the son to follow the path of wisdom, not the path of foolishness or folly. The path of wisdom, the father says over and over again, leads to life in the end, while the path of foolishness results in death. We saw woman wisdom and woman folly in our last study in Proverbs 9. We saw the the beckoning, the the invitation for both women at both sides of the road to the simple man walking through. Come to me, come to me. And we saw that wisdom had life and folly. Woman folly could only offer death. You might also remember that we defined wisdom uh, in Proverbs as the right view of God and his world and living your life in light of that. And we'll keep that. We'll keep that definition for now. The right view of God and his world, and living life in light of that. The wisdom of God is built always on a right view of God. What Solomon calls the fear of the Lord. So once that view is set aright, once our view of God is set aright, then that view informs how we view everything else in our world. The world God has created and designed to work a specific way. So that's wisdom. Figure it out with the Lord. Hear his His design for the world and live your life in light of that. So that was Proverbs 1 through 9. That sort of laid the groundwork for us now to venture into the remainder of the book. Starting in Proverbs 10. The, the lessons that we saw that had a sort of a rhyme and reason give way to an assortment of Proverbs, a kind of potpourri of pithy sayings. Enough peas for you? Uh, these sort of short sayings about how wisdom will work itself out in our daily lives. So there's different topics throughout these chapters, and, and as I study through them, I just picked about, I don't know how many now, six to eight different topics for us to consider as we finish up the book of Proverbs. And this afternoon, we start with a subject of money, which I saw come up probably the most of any other topic. And so a few words of, um, of preparation before we dig into the text itself. So remember, church, Proverbs isn't trying, isn't attempting, isn't claiming to answer all your questions about your money. No, Proverbs is trying to get you to think wisely about all your questions about your money. So wisdom isn't mere head knowledge. We see that all over Proverbs. Wisdom gets its hands dirty. Wisdom impacts how we act, or else it's not wisdom. It's just theory. Remember Derek Kidner? I think we said this in our first study. He's written a book on Proverbs, and he says, Proverbs' function in the Bible is to put godliness into work clothes. Take something that we kind of think of as ethereal and, and, and heavenly, godliness, which it is heavenly, but bring it more down to earth. What does the Bible impact when you put on your work clothes Monday through Friday? And so as we think about Proverbs and money, we're not going to get all our answers, uh, questions answered, but we're going to begin, I hope, to see a way of wisdom take shape as we look at the various texts. And then finally, one more thing remember proverbs will often make statements that are always true for example the name of the lord is a strong tower we'll see that verse in a bit but it's also going to make statements that are normally true not always true that's the nature of a proverb so for example there's a verse that we'll look at probably next week when we think about work and that's the verse the hand of the diligent makes rich So, when you're diligent at your work, you'll get lots of money, or at least you'll have enough money that you need, right? And that's normally true. If you work hard, you're diligent, you will have enough to sustain your life. That's how God has designed the world. But all of us know, probably personally at some point in our lives, maybe even today, that's just not always the case. Why? Why? Because God's design has been corrupted by our sin. We have spurned his design. And so while it's usually the case that diligence brings success, sometimes it just doesn't. And so we need to remember that Proverbs ultimately will point us to the only one who can fix a broken world. Proverbs always will point us in the end to God's wisdom incarnate in Jesus Christ. And so it's no surprise then that when you turn to the Gospels, Much of what Jesus says is about money. Jesus is Wisdom, capital W. And so money is a great test of wisdom. Friend, are you seeking to be wise? Proverbs would point you to your approach to your money as a great way to answer that question. All right, so let's turn to Proverbs now. Uh, We're going to just blitz through five ways a wise person acts towards his money. And as we do so, if you have your physical Bible with you, I'd encourage you to put it on your lap, open it up to Proverbs if you haven't already. If you have a, a, a Bible app on your phone, get that out because we're going to go to a lot of different verses in the next few minutes. So, first point the wise receive money gladly. The wise receive money gladly. Proverbs regularly sees wealth and money as a blessing from God. So turn with me to Proverbs ten, fifteen. Proverbs ten, fifteen. This is starting out right in these Proverbs sections. Proverbs proper in Proverbs. Proverbs ten verse fifteen. There we read, A rich man's wealth is his strong city, the poverty of the poor is their ruin. In other words, wealth provides relative security and safety. Money in the bank is not a bad thing. In fact, it's a blessing. A flip over, you probably won't have to flip. Just look a few verses later in Proverbs 10.22. The blessing of the Lord makes rich. And he adds no sorrow with it. Have Have you read that verse before? You think about it. When, it, when you, if you guys have just started a, a read through the Bible in a year plan, you're starting in Genesis. And as you go through Genesis, particularly, you'll see the patriarchs of old, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob flourishing. Flourishing, not just in their relationship with the Lord, that has its rocky moments, but they, they have crops, they have flocks, they have fields, they have what they need, and people come to them for help. Why? Well, God's blessing them. And that's something we're reminded that behind it all, God is at work. It's not ultimately their ingenuity that prospers them, but God's plan, ultimately, to bring Christ through the line of Judah. Now, of course, you guys are, are, are probably expecting me to say this, you've got to be careful with this idea, right? Uh, because there are false teachers and charlatan preachers in our world today who make big bucks saying that God's will for everyone who has enough faith is a huge bank account like theirs, a large mansion like theirs, and financial prosperity that means you can buy anything you want. And that's simply a lie from the pit of hell. It's not the case. Jesus never promised dollar signs to his followers. If anything, he promised a cross for them to bear and an eternal glory for them to anticipate that's better than any riches this side of heaven. But just because those preachers, if you want to call them that, say things like that. We shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Money is not inherently evil, even if it is incredibly dangerous, as we'll see in a moment. So Christian, if you have a plentiful income, if you're able to pay your bills or even save up healthy savings during this time of pandemic, if you're, if you have some semblance of financial security, praise God for that. Receive that as a blessing from him. It's right and good that those who work diligently and honestly and spend money wisely will have more of it. That's simply the way God has designed this world to work. However, all of us, and particularly the more well-off of us, will often be tempted in sinful pride to try to make ourselves look great and appear praiseworthy in ourselves because of our riches. You can easily forget to see our resources as coming from God's hand. Kind of like Nebuchadnezzar out on his balcony, right? All of, look at all of my hand is accomplished. And so one scholar writes how the teaching in Proverbs about wealth as God's blessing, particularly in this verse 1022, should lead the godly rich to look not at their own efforts, but rather to God for the reason for their well-being. God is a source of blessing for you. He's a source of wisdom so as we live wisely he's the one who's going to bless us we must humble ourselves and give him the thanks for that the wise receive money gladly second the wise steward money shrewdly the wise steward money shrewdly Uh, The word shrewd means kind of clear judgment, clear understanding. So a wise person is aware of his money and how to spend, save, or give it well. Proverbs is full of exhortations to be careful with money, especially in the area of loans. So turn with me to chapter 6. I kind of skipped over this last fall because uh, it didn't really fit in well with the the lessons or the lectures that we are working through in those few verses. Proverbs kind of takes a break from those in the first part of chapter 6. But let's return there now and look at the first five verses. Chapter 6. This is the father speaking to his son, and he says, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. The father here urges his son to do his utmost to excuse himself From providing security for someone else's debt. That says, that says the father is foolishness. It's putting your resources into the control of your neighbor and will very easily perhaps turn that relationship and the whole situation extremely sour. In his commentary on Proverbs, Derek Kidner says this may very well prove a disservice not, to, not just to you who's providing the security, but to the person you're trying to help. Putting extra stress on him or her and, and bringing much misery on him or her if they ruin you by defaulting on their debt. Now the Bible doesn't forbid all lending and borrowing of money. So, in Psalm 37, we see how the righteous are generous in their lending. We see instructions in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy on how to charge or not charge interest. But even so, in Proverbs, we see a clear warning, particularly in securing someone else's debt. Think like co signing. this points us to this general rule of wisdom. We must be shrewd in how we steward our money and not toss it around haphazardly or ignorantly. So Christian, are you careful in how you steward your money? If it is God's gift to you, you must use it to honor him. The wise steward money shrewdly. Third, the wise give money generously. The wise give money generously. Look with me at chapter 11, verse 24. So flip ahead to chapter 11, verse 24. There we read, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. According to Proverbs, generosity then is not just for the outgoing for the community-minded, for the do-gooder, for the philanthropist, generosity is for anyone who wants to be wise. Generosity brings great reward to the giver. This idea is repeated in the New Testament as well. So in 2 Corinthians, this is a famous verse, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, Paul writes, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully so there's no doubt that scripture calls us to generosity that is truly self-sacrificing that hurts a little bit those who are miserly and hoard their wealth are the foolish ones why is that the case well i think for one thing it's because when we give wisely and generously we give to the lord It's a way we express worship to God. See, generosity and giving make much less sense when we just live for ourselves. But when we live in the fear of the Lord, generosity becomes a way we worship him and love others as he has loved us in his son. God is a generous God. He has given his very own son to us, and we must give of ourselves to others. In this is wisdom. So Proverbs repeatedly shows us how generosity with our money is linked to our relationship, not only with people who need that money, but with God himself. So look at chapter 14, verse 31. Fourteen thirty-one. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. But he who is generous to the needy honors him. So generosity honors God. It doesn't just help a brother out. It honors the Lord. Look at chapter 19, verse 17. This one's crazy. Chapter 19, verse 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. And he will repay him for the deed. That's not placing God in any sort of monetary debt to us, of course. It's recognizing that generosity is for God's glory and expects the blessings and return from that generosity not from the person helped, but from God alone in whom we have all we need. And church, we mustn't neglect to see in Proverbs who it is who should receive our generosity. It's not only the people who are like us. It's not only those who can reciprocate our giving with their own generosity back to us. It's not only those who are worthy or have somehow earned our generosity. Our generosity is to be aimed at the poor and needy. So look at chapter 14, verse 21. 14:21: 21, "Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous." to the poor Flip all the way back to chapter 28 verse 27 28 27 Whoever gives to the poor will not want but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse Sounds a lot, if if your mind is going to Matthew 25, that's a good thing. It sounds a lot like Jesus' words there, where he speaks of giving generously to those who are in need, especially in that context within the church. And he speaks of those who will who he will save, and then he speaks of those who are going to be rejected. And he says, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry. And you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the one of the least of these You did not do it to me. Christian, the wise show generosity to those within the church, and to those in our community. When you're generous to those who are in need, you give to the Lord himself. Even more, you portray the gospel. The good news that when we were poor in our sin, unable to save ourselves, Jesus left his riches to take on our poverty so that in him we might become rich. Are you showing the gospel in your generosity? I know many of you are. But consider, Christian, are you showing the gospel in your generosity? You know, we have um, a partnership at Loudoun Valley with Tree of Life Ministries here in Purcellville. Uh, Tree of Life purposefully partners with local churches, not only to provide for the needy, but also with a clear desire to share the gospel along with food and and clothing and money. And so we've done quite a few things with Tree of Life over the years. We've led uh, Bible studies with them. We've been involved in the community kitchen. And we hope that relationship continues to grow as Loudoun Valley continues to grow. So just a question then. Have you participated in any of the events we've done with Tree of Life? Have you cooked for one of the dinners or attended one of the Bible studies? or given to one of the drives, or gotten involved in the various other ministries they have there just on your own. Tree of Life, friend, provides some low-hanging fruit for you to pick if you're looking for ways to be generous for the sake of the gospel. And friend, if, if you're here with us and, or you're watching online and you're not a Christian, we understand that Christians like us struggle with our money. We struggle to be generous. We, too, are tempted to hog all our money for ourselves. And so this afternoon, we want to point you not to us, but to our King. Our King Jesus humbled himself and became poor so we might become rich in him. He was humiliated on a cross to bear the judgment for our sin and to give us his life. And so when it's all said and done, your money won't save you, from your wrong, what your wrongdoing deserves before the judge of the world. But Jesus can. Jesus has done what you couldn't do. And he offers freely to you his eternal riches of new life. If you'll turn to him, repent of your sin, and place your trust in what he's done for you. You can do that today. If you have questions about how to do that, you can talk to me afterwards, talk to somebody uh, next to you that looks like they know what they're doing, and we'd love to share with you more about how you can find salvation in Jesus today. The wise give money generously. Fourth, the wise view money warily. The wise view money warily. See, although money is a great blessing and Proverbs hides, hides nothing from that, It's also dangerous because money provides stability and security. That's why it's a blessing. But in our sin, we will elevate that money, that security and stability to ultimate levels above even God himself and worship and idolize our security in our wealth. And that's where it becomes dangerous. That road of idolatry ends, as Proverbs tells us, in death. So turn with me to chapter 11, verse 28. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 28. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. To trust in riches, Proverbs teaches, is utter foolishness. That doesn't mean you don't save up. That doesn't mean you don't invest. That doesn't mean you don't plan for the future. But it does mean you don't put your ultimate confidence in any of those things. Riches will fly away in the blink of an eye. That's what we see in chapter 23, starting in verse 4. Turn with me there. Chapter 23, verse 4. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Again, Jesus, the capital S sage of wisdom, his words come to mind. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Aubrey read this for us a few moments ago. Where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. I read this past week about a man who retired at the age of 34. He was just really well set, even living in the San Francisco area. And then in March, as the stock market took a a hit, his stock portfolio dropped by 30%, and he lost $600,000 like that. It can all fly away so easily even if you're super careful. So Christian, where is your trust located in 2021? It's probably a good idea in 2021 to spend time planning for retirement, investing in opportunities, but it's a better idea to put your ultimate trust not in those things, for that is foolishness. What is always true and worthwhile is to know that God's enough. We see this in Proverbs as well. Turn with me to chapter 15 verse 16. 15:16. 16. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Friend, are you content with the Lord? Do those around you, your kids, your friends, your siblings, your parents, your fellow church members, see that for you, righteousness and the fear of the Lord is of more value than a fat savings account? Parents especially, do your kids only see you working your tail off to buy them cool things, Or do they see you setting aside other pursuits to teach them about the fear of the Lord? Church, we are reminded here that as Paul says in 1 Timothy, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment with what God provides is true wisdom. Wisdom. We must beware of riches and poverty and seek instead salvation or contentment in every situation. This is my favorite. I think this is my favorite verse that I came across in this study. I turn to chapter 30, verse 8. This is not Solomon, but a guy named Eger 30, verse 8. He says, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be fool and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Christian, God may bless you with riches. Or his will for you might be one of more financial struggle. But he offers you all, all you need in himself. You may not have to live paycheck to paycheck, but you're always going to be called to live day by day, depending on God's grace. What did Jesus teach us to pray for? Our daily bread. We must trust him for today and leave tomorrow in his hands. The wise view money warily. Fifth, and briefly, the wise prioritize money rightly. The wise prioritize money rightly. See, Proverbs repeatedly draws our minds to how money cannot save us in the end. So, for example, consider chapter 11, verse 7. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish, and the expectation of wealth perishes too. Friends, one day we're all going to die. One day we're all going to face the judgment of God, and in that day, money will do zilch to help us. Look at chapter 11, verse 4, just a few verses earlier. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Friend, beware. You can't pay off God. In the end, your money, however little of it, however much you have of it, will do nothing for you. So Christian, consider the end of your life. Consider the judgment of God. Consider how your wealth will help you then. And in the grand scope of life and death, I think you're going to begin to prioritize your money rightly. I think it will help you and me never make it the main thing. I think it will remind us that it can never be our ultimate refuge. Turn with me in closing to Proverbs 18. This is the last verse I'll have you switch, switch over to. Proverbs 18. Verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. See, this is teaching us that a rich man can easily find his wealth to be all he needs for refuge. But that refuge will ultimately just be a pipe dream. Imaginary. It won't help in the end. But a righteous man will run not into his wealth for his strong city, although it's a blessing as we saw before, but he will run to the name of the Lord. A righteous man, whether rich or poor, will find his refuge in the Lord, a refuge that is real and not imaginary, a refuge that never fails. So by all means, use Proverbs to help you as I uh, need to do as well. Use Proverbs to help you use your money well, but remember the end of your life prioritize the name of the lord prioritize his glory seek after his name and find in him your security and your safety and your everything after the lord's supper we're going to sing how as christians we must not boast in wealth or might or human wisdom's fleeting light but we're to boast in knowing christ our greatest treasure wellspring of our hope Let's pray. Lord, we confess that in one way or another, we're all tempted to worship our money more than you. We're all tempted to look to what our money can buy for refuge rather than look to you. And so we repent. We find in you our greatest treasure and we rejoice that when we were poor in our sin, you came to lift us up. We find our worth in you alone.